Well, good morning. Glad that we're uh, back here together again this morning. Uh, and last week we, uh, we began a, uh, getting into a sermon series through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we are going to continue on with that today. So we started into chapter 1 last Sunday, and Lord willing, we'll go ahead and finish out chapter 1 today. So if you have your Bibles with you, and open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. If you happen not to have a Bible, you can raise your hand and we'll make sure you get one. And uh, so please pray with me one more time and then we'll read from 1 Thessalonians 1. So Lord, thank you. Uh, thank you again for pulling us together once again this morning. And I pray that you would help us now to hear from you and um, as we hear from you, Lord, change us. Help us to be shaped, uh, to be more and more like Jesus. Help us to um, believe well and live well in light of what we believe. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we'll read the whole chapter for a little bit of context, but then I'm really just going to focus on verses 5 to 10 for the message. So verse 1, Paul, uh, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be uh, among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of, the Lord, uh, and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all of the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the uh, living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Amen. So last week uh, I focused on uh, two reasons that we see here why Paul is thankful for the Thessalonians. Number one, comes from verse 3. Paul is thankful for their work of faith and their labor of love and their steadfastness of hope in Jesus. And then number 2 from verse 4, he's thankful that the, uh, for these Thessalonians uh, because they are loved and chosen by God. They're chosen by God. Paul actually uses language here from the Old Testament, most often uh, uh, that applies to Israel. But now, because of Jesus, Paul applies this language here actually to the church. And in this case, uh, a church that was made up largely of Gentiles, of pagans, of non-Jews. And so in Paul's mind, uh, it's the church in Jesus Christ. These now are essentially the renewed Israel. The church is the people of God, the, uh, God's chosen people, God's beloved people. Now, interesting, uh, Paul then goes on here in chapter 1, and, and this is what we'll focus on today. Paul goes on 
and actually gives us some reasons why he is confident that they are chosen. So we had reasons why he's thankful, now reasons why he's confident that they are chosen. So just like you might think, you know, you're, you're wondering whether a tree is an apple tree or if it is a pear tree. Well, how would you know that? Well, most obviously, you might look at a few different things, but obviously you would look at the fruit, right? And a, an apple tree yields apples, a pear fruit yields pears. Well, Paul is, is looking at the Thessalonians here, he's, and he's looking at observable characteristics that he, he can look at, and in his mind, these things say chosen, loved by God, God's people. And I, I think that we're going to see... Um, two reasons for this. He knows that they're chosen for two reasons. Number one, Holy Spirit-empowered delivery of the gospel of Jesus. And then number two, Holy Spirit-empowered receiving of the gospel of Jesus. And again, that's what I want us to look at today. These reasons why Paul is confident that the Thessalonians are, in fact, chosen by God. And so for us too then, these become reasons why we too can be confident in God's choosing. You know, you ever wonder, can, can one really know whether he or anyone else is included in, among God's elect? You ever, you ever wonder, you ever question, you ever doubt, is that me? Am I among God's elect people? Do you ever, you ever wrestle with assurance of uh, uh, or doubt of, of, of your salvation, or, 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 or wrestle with assurance of God's love for you. Well, listen, Paul is, is confident here that the Thessalonians were loved and chosen. And I think we can see some things here with them that we can then reflect on for ourselves, and that will help to, to test and to build our confidence as well. So two reasons uh, that Paul gives here why he's confident— that the Thessalonians are, in fact, chosen by God, number one. And, uh, and really, I'm not actually going to say anything about number one here, except just state it, um, because I'm going to come back to this actually next week, uh, and we'll flesh that out a little bit more. But number one, it's really Paul's own experience in preaching the gospel to them. That gives him confidence. Uh, that they are chosen. And that experience was essentially a Holy Spirit-empowered preaching. And you can see that in verse 5. So if you read uh, 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 verses 4 to 5 again, verse 4, For we know, brothers loved by God, that God has chosen you, verse 5, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Okay, so that's the first reason. And we'll get more into that next week. Paul's Holy Spirit-empowered preaching. And then number two, second reason, it's the Holy, it's the, it's the Holy Spirit-empowered response to the gospel by the Thessalonians. So Paul is confident that God had chosen the Thessalonians because of how they received the gospel of Jesus. Okay, so the gospel meaning 
this, this good news that Jesus died for our sins and he was raised up from the dead uh, so that we can be forgiven of our sins, so that we can have favor with God, that he's coming back again, so again that we can have that favor with him and we can ultimately live with Jesus forever. That gospel, that's the gospel that Paul shared with the Thessalonians. Uh, that's the gospel that they responded to that gave Paul confidence that they were in fact chosen by God. So what, what was that? How did they respond? How did the Thessalonians respond? Well, essentially they accepted the gospel, right? They, they received it. They believed it. They embraced it. They said, yes, this is true. And they trusted Jesus for what's true in that. In a nutshell, really, it's verses 9 and 10. Really, verses 9 and 10. If you look there again, uh, partway through verse 9 and following, it says that they turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, who, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. In other words, they were converted. They, 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 they repented. Uh, the idea of repentance in faith. Um, conversion. Th- this is what's happening here. They, they repented. In other words, they, they changed their minds. They changed their direction. They, they turned toward God, away from idol worship, and they put their faith in Jesus. They turned away from idol worship, and they turned toward uh, to, to worship the one and only true God, through Jesus, believing that Jesus, in fact, rose from the dead, as it says there, which implies that he first died for their sins, and they they, they believe that he was raised again, Um, and they were anticipating that when he does come back, Jesus will deliver them, will rescue them from God's wrath. This is how the Thessalonians responded to the gospel of Jesus. Um, Essentially, uh, Greg Beale says this, uh, I think there's a slide for that. It says this, he says, this is a threefold description of the genuine Christian life. Turning from earthly idols to serve God and to wait for, Jesus, uh, for Christ uh, to, to deliver his people from the final judgment at the second coming. That's the, 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 uh, a, uh, kind of a core description of the Christian life. Now, for the Thessalonians... Uh, they would have had to turn away. They did turn away from literal, physical idols, physical statues, uh, temples, shrines, things like this that were devoted to various Greco-Roman gods. So um, for you and me, probably we are not uh, struggling much with uh, actually worshiping some physical statue of some Greco-Roman god, but... Um, idolatry is every bit as much an issue for us, um, uh, an issue that we face as much as it was for the Thessalonians. And uh, that's because fundamentally idolatry uh, really is a matter of the heart. Idolatry is a heart issue. Idolatry is is a worship disorder in our hearts before it ever then gets manifested in um, uh, in any kind of action. In essence, idolatry is, is to break what Jesus says is God's greatest commandment, which is to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Love God with all of our being. To break that command is essentially idolatry. Idolatry is, is, is 
It's, it's looking to something other than God himself in order to get what only God has promised. Uh, or it's to give a kind of value or allegiance to someone or something that really should only be given to God. It's, it's trusting someone or something in a way that, with a kind of trust that really should only be given to God. These are ways to think about um, idolatry. And then all of that, that starts in the heart. And then from there, man, pretty much every other act or form of, of sin flows out of that heart idolatry. And that's then going to manifest itself in a million different ways, uh, in a million different individual sins of, of, our th- of our thinking, sins in our words, sins in our actions, sin in our affection. It comes out of that heart idolatry. Actually, over in the book of Colossians, um, in Colossians, Paul wrote that letter also. And in Colossians chapter 3, he says this, Colossians 3, 5. He says, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In other words, even Paul here is basically summing up all of these individual sins as essentially idolatry. Uh, So related to this verse, Doug Moo says this. He says, idolatry is just putting something else before God. For example, the things that were just mentioned in Colossians 3. um, Sex, money, power. Putting these things before God and wanting more and more of these things. It's a good way to think about idolatry and what's going on in the heart and what it leads to. And that's just as much a challenge for us today as it was, as it would have been for the Thessalonians. Absolutely. And by the way, um, one way to, to tell if maybe you are perhaps making an idol out of something is to check your emotions. Check your emotions. Are you, especially when you get angry, especially if you get angry or frustrated or impatient, are you, are you, are you getting angry or frustrated or impatient when something is taken away from you? probably pretty likely that you've got an issue with making that thing an idol. An idol. Or, or if you've got something that you like and it's being taken away from you. Um, or, or, it's, or something is stopping you from getting something you want. If, you, if your emotions uh, boil up to anger and frustration or impatience, things like this, likely that you're looking at an idol there. Um, or if you're willing to sin in order to get something that you want. Good bet you've just made an idol out of something. If you're willing to maybe be harsh in order to get something or keep something, or if you're willing to lie in order to get something or keep something, um, and that's something, I mean, it might be a physical thing like a book or a toy, it, but it could be something like comfort. Now, that's an idol I absolutely struggle with. It's just comfort. Don't get in the way, children, of my comfort, right? And I get impatient. So these are things that can help us uh, just, uh, just check ourselves and, 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 and uh, sort of be open with the Lord about where are there idols in our hearts. Um, the Thessalonians, they turned to God from idols and they were waiting for Jesus. Uh, now, what did that look like for the Thessalonians? Just, just practically lived out, okay? What did that, what did that, that turning and that, that repentance, that faith, what did it look like? Two things. Number one, they became imitators. And number two, they became examples. 
They became imitators and they became examples. So number one again, they became imitators. Uh, You see this at verse 6. You can look there again. Verse 6 again, it says, And you became imitators of us, that is, Paul and his co-workers. You became imitators of us and the Lord, for you received the word, that is, the gospel of Jesus. You received the gospel in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And so the Thessalonians became imitators of Paul, and they became imitators of Jesus himself, meaning, in this context here, meaning that they endured persecution for their trust in Jesus. Um, I should, by the way, here, related to this persecution, we don't really know, or at least I'm not really sure, um, what kind of persecution they faced. In other words, was it physical persecution? Were they, were they physically being beaten? Were they physically being abused? Um, I'm, not, I'm not altogether sure about that. But at the very least, I am quite certain that certainly there would have been Uh, what Doug Moo calls social harassment for these Thessalonian Christians. Social harassment. Uh, They would have been increasingly marginalized. They would have been mocked. They would have been harassed. They would have increasingly been seen as offensive uh, to those that were around them. Offensive in some way or other uh, because of this new faith that they had um, in Jesus. Now, uh, Thessalonica, this was a, a very cosmopolitan um, um, city, uh, a pagan city, had a, very, had a very religious atmosphere, so there would have been um, uh, temples and shrines, sort of idols, pretty much all around, uh, in various ways devoted to Greco-Roman gods, uh, devoted to Egyptian gods, actually, uh, devoted to other gods. It was a very cosmopolitan city in that way. In fact, Mount Olympus, if that rings a bell, Mount Olympus of the Greek gods was only, was only about 50 miles from Thessalonica. And uh, Mount Olympus was this um, very important religious site at the time. Uh, this was the home, supposedly, of the primary uh, gods of Zeus and, and, and Apollo and, and some others. And it's likely that there would have been a lot of coming and going between Thessalonica and uh, Mount Olympus because of where Thessalonica was located. So that's the atmosphere into which this Thessalonian church was planted. This extremely religiously pluralist society. And now here come along these Christians who believed exclusively in Jesus. They believed that for anyone to be truly connected to God at all... Jesus was the one uh, exclusive way to do that. One needed to be united to, to Jesus by faith. And then on the flip side of that, if you were not united to Jesus by faith, then in the end, there was no other way to get, quote, salvation. Salvation, meaning salvation from God's wrath. God's wrath that he will, in the end, pour out on, on the world because of sin. So verse 10 says that the Thessalonians were waiting for Jesus explicitly as the one who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now this is deeply sobering. This is a sober reality. But this really is part of the gospel of Jesus. You, uh, over at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul um, writes to the Thessalonians again, and, and, and over there he says, 
Jesus will return in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Again, just massively sobering. But one central piece of the good news of the good news of Jesus is that there is real hope that we can escape that wrath of God. There's real hope for that. It's by, it's by, and it's found exclusively in Jesus. If we will trust that in Jesus' death on the cross, he bore that wrath of God in our place because we deserved it because of our sin. And then he was raised up again from the dead to prove that that sacrifice was successful and was acceptable to God. If we'll trust in Jesus for that, and we'll trust in Jesus for that exclusively, then we will, in fact, be saved from this wrath to come. Whereas those who do not trust Jesus uh, for that, will not be saved from that wrath. So this is the kind of faith that these Thessalonians would have had here in this thoroughly religiously pluralist, religiously relative, relativistic society. And this was upsetting to people. This was upsetting. It was upsetting to the Jews because the gospel was a claim, basically, that Jesus is God, and the only way to get to God is to go through Jesus. That upset the Jews, and it didn't help that, that Gentiles could be included among God's people, um, which is also what happens with the gospel. It was upsetting to the Gentiles because it meant that then the emperor wasn't God, and all of the Greco-Roman pantheon, they weren't God, so that upset the Gentiles. And also it upset the Gentiles because it meant the, a gospel claim is that Jesus is the, is the king of kings. That meant that the emperor uh, was, was lesser than Jesus. So that upset the Gentiles. And actually, this is, that, that's what um, sort of got Paul in trouble when he first uh, went to Thessalonica bringing the gospel. Um, this is sort of what got him in trouble in the first place and what ultimately drove him out of town. Uh, in Acts 17, you can see this. In Acts 17, um, it says that the, the ultimate charge against Paul and other Christians was that they are out, they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. Catch that. They were disturbed. They were disturbed. That's the reaction to the gospel of Jesus. It's disturbing. It upsets the social order. It, it, it makes exclusive claims about Jesus in a highly relative, uh, pluralist society. And so, because of that, boy, the people, the city authorities, they get disturbed. And I just think for us today, um, we would be wise just to take note of this. Um, just at least get mentally prepared. Don't be surprised by this sort of thing. I think this really is um, becoming increasingly more and more the reaction of the gospel of Jesus in our day as well, that it's disturbing in various ways. And actually, um, something like this was just in the news recently. I don't know how many of you saw this um, buzzing around in, in different um, social media avenues, but on Wednesday, there was a, a United States Senate hearing 
uh, for President Trump's nominee for the, um, the uh, I know this, Deputy White House uh, Budget Director. And his, his name was Ru is Russell Vaught. I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Um, and some of you may have seen this, but, but here's the gist of it. Senator Bernie Sanders, who... who um, Probably the w most well-known senator in the country, probably. He ran for president last year, very well-known. Um, he is questioning um, uh, Russell Vaught, and he wants Russell Vaught to comment on something that Vaught had written uh, last year. Uh, Vaught wrote something last year related to um, the affirmation of faith of his alma mater of, of Wheaton College. And, uh, and in that statement, Vaught said this. I think we have a slide of it. He said, Muslims do not simply have a deficient theology. They do not know God because they have rejected Jesus Christ, his son, and they stand condemned. Well, uh, long story short, uh, Sanders went on, and uh, actually, if you, ever get, if you do get a chance to see the video, uh, he gets pretty angry at, at one point here. Um, and he goes on essentially to say that that view, that view that, that, that if you reject Jesus Christ, you do not know God and you stand condemned, that view, Sanders said, is Islamophobic, it's disrespectful, it's indefensible, and it is hateful. It's a hateful thing. And then Bernie Sanders went on to say that Russell Vogt, quote, is really not someone who this country is supposed to be about. And that he would vote no to his appointment. And so, like in the city of, uh, or the, like the city authorities in Thessalonica, here Bernie Sanders, a, a city authority of sorts, was disturbed by the implications of the gospel of Jesus. The very thing that the Thessalonians were holding to with regard to salvation from the wrath of God. In Sanders' mind, that very thing is disrespectful, it's indefensible, and it is hateful to believe like that. You are hateful if you believe that. Um, really, I think it was this kind of, these kinds of perceptions of the gospel of Jesus um, that would have caused the Thessalonians Christians to have suffered in various ways. Maybe in some physical ways, um, but certainly in various social ways. Harassed, mocked, marginalized, and so on. And I think we get sort of a modern-day example of that in the Bernie Sanders-Russell Vaught exchange. And yet, the Thessalonians endured. They persevered in holding fast to Jesus despite that persecution. They were holding fast. And they weren't just holding fast, period. They were holding fast with joy. They had joy. You see that in verse 6 again. They received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. In other words, uh, just as there was from Paul, this Holy Spirit-empowered preaching, well, for them, there was this Holy, Holy Spirit-empowered receiving of the gospel. They received it in joy. This was, this was a joy that was beyond human ability, this is a kind of joy that just makes no sense in light of circumstances of persecution. It was joy that no one could just muster up in natural human strength. This is supernatural joy. 
This is, this is joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. This is joy that is created and sustained by the Holy Spirit. It's joy that really is part and parcel of saving faith in Jesus. And in that perseverance in the faith, in that joy, despite the persecution, they were imitating Paul and Jesus himself. And that was evidence for Paul. That was evidence for Paul that the Thessalonians were indeed loved and chosen by God. So they were imitators. And then number two, they were examples. Um, And you can see this in verses 7 to 8 again. They were examples. Uh, Verses 7 to 8, it says there, They became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that... Uh, we may, uh, so that we need not say anything. And so I think what Paul has in mind here, as far as being an example, um, it's, it's partly that they were an example in enduring persecution, but also here, um, it's, they, they, are, they are setting an example in that they were unashamedly public with their faith. They were public with their faith. To the Thessalonians, Christianity was not a private matter. Not something that is just about personal belief, something that you keep undercover, never to be on display, never to be spoken of in public. Not for these Christians. They shared the gospel uh, and they showed the gospel. They, they spoke up and they showed up. They spoke up uh, as they had opportunity to speak up and they showed the uh, impact of the gospel on their lives and how their lives had changed, how the gospel had changed them. Um, you could maybe throw up that map if it's easy, Ron. I wasn't planning, but um, you, and you might remember um, Thessalonica. This was a very popular, very influential city. It was the capital of Macedonia, and geographically, it was situated such that it would have had a lot of through traffic because of the port, uh, the Aegean Sea. There was a major highway we'd call it a highway, uh, that ran through, that connected the eastern and the western side of the empire. So there was a lot of traffic coming and going through Thessalonica, both by land and by sea. Um, and I, as, as I think that what Paul has in mind here is that as the Thessalonian Christians had opportunity with all these people coming and going, they spoke up about the gospel of Jesus. And they just displayed it clearly in their conduct how the gospel had changed them. And news of that began to spread. And for Paul again, this was some of the evidence that gave him confidence that they were chosen by God. Their faith in Jesus, to them, not a private matter, but they spoke up, they showed up. In fact, their, their faith went out so that even Paul was hearing about it um, in places beyond Thessalonica. And so again, when it came to their faith in Jesus, uh, the Thessalonian Christians, they had loose lips and they had open lives. They had loose lips, and they had open lives when it came to the gospel of Jesus. And uh, verses 9 and 10, I think uh, verses 9 and 10 are helpful in this regard, or related to this, because they give us, these verses give us some insight into what was the content of what was known about the Thessalonians, of what was carried far and wide that even Paul was hearing about it. Um, what was the content that, that really sounded forth from the Thessalonians? What was it that people were seeing in them and hearing from them that got carried far and wide? Well, it's here, I think, in verses 9 and 10 again. 
Uh, so we can look at those, read those verses again. Verse 9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for Jesus, his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That was um, what was public for the world to see. That's what they wore on their sleeves, so to speak. And I think that's helpful for us to, to, to see that there, I think. Um, that should help us, I think, just to consider um, what are people both hearing about us or hearing from us, I should say, and what are they seeing in us? This is what they saw in the Thessalonian Christians. What are they seeing in us? For example, how, how prominent does the, the, does the resurrection of Jesus figure into what gives us hope? How much does the resurrection of Jesus figure into what we talk about? Do people notice that we believe Jesus rose from the dead? Do people notice that that has significant bearing on our lives? Is that what they're hearing and seeing? Or are we anticipating Jesus' return? Are we excited that Jesus is coming back? Do people see that in us? Uh, do, we, do we think about that much? And when we do think about the fact that he's coming back, do we think about the fact that he is going to rescue us from God's wrath. That is such good news. But do we ever really even talk much about God's wrath when we're talking about Jesus? Do we hold firm to the exclusivity of Jesus when it comes to salvation? What would we say if we were questioned in a job interview about these kinds of things? like Russell Vaught was. I think that's a challenge for us because we, I mean, just more and more in the eyes of millions of people to think about Jesus that way, to believe that about Jesus, it's, if, if that's our view, then, then we are disrespectful and we are hateful and we certainly are not model citizens of our land. In the view of millions of people, that's true of us. For the Thessalonians, they were, they were examples in their unashamed public display of their faith in Jesus. And for Paul, that made him confident that God loved them. God chose them. He's seeing uh, the apples from the apple tree, so to speak. And again, I think this is, it's helpful for us to see these things because it can help to, to test and to build our confidence in God's choosing as well, in our standing with God as well. So consider this, consider some of these things. Do you have a sense that at your core, in your heart of hearts, you fundamentally have turned, you've repented, you've turned from idols, quote idols in your life, and you've turned to worship God in Jesus? Fundamentally, in the core of your heart of hearts, do you feel like you've done that? Has, is there a before and after? Is there a change, even if it's been gradual? How do you feel on that? Or how are you responding to pressure of various kinds to turn away from Jesus? Even if just little things. Maybe we're not sort of abandoning Jesus altogether, but we're going to just sort of abandon parts of the gospel because they're uncomfortable. How are we doing in holding up to that sort of pressure, um, that social harassment maybe that you might feel, if you feel social harassment because of your faith? Are you persevering in that? How well are you holding up under that kind of social harassment or pressure in the workplace or in your neighborhood? Maybe even with 
your own family, uh, maybe extended family? Are you joyful? Do you have a sense of joy, Holy Spirit-empowered joy, because of what Jesus has done for you? This is the best news on the planet. Does that give you joy? Are you full of joy in Jesus despite hardship that you might face? Are you public with your faith? Are you public with your faith? Are you speaking up and showing up as you have opportunity? Are you not ashamed of the gospel? Are you not ashamed of the gospel? Are you anticipating Jesus' return? Is that something that you're excited about? Is it something that you think about? Um, do people know that a, that a fundamental reason for your hope in this life is the fact that Jesus is coming back? Would people perceive that about you? Do they perceive it about me? Well, Paul saw that the, the, for the Thessalonians, um, he saw that they had responded to the gospel of Jesus with repentance and faith. They had joy. They were, they were holding up through persecution. They were public with their faith. They were anticipating Jesus' return, and they were anticipating that rescue from God's wrath. And all of this was reason for Paul to be confident that they were elect of God, that they were loved by God, that they were chosen uh, by God. These were the apples that Paul saw, so to speak, that made him confident that he was looking at an apple tree, if that's what the church was. And then I, I would just say again, these kinds of things, these can be a test for us so that as we more and more see these examples in ourselves personally, as well as as a church body, as we see these things more and more, we can be more and more confident that in fact we are chosen by God. We are loved by God. We are God's elect people. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be um, uh, stirring around in the book of First Thessalonians, and we just pray that you would keep uh, helping us to have insight into this book um, and have wisdom about how to apply what you're teaching us here. In Jesus' name, amen.